Welcome to Appear Here. We're the leading marketplace to rent retail space. Our mission is to create a world where anyone can find space to make their idea happen. This podcast is recorded live from one of our underground sessions, a monthly event series featuring industry leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs designed to ignite conversations and spark new ideas. If you'd like to join one in person, check out the link in our bio. Tonight, we are celebrating the people who do. Um, so those are people who've turned their, their dreams into reality. Um, so it's super relevant for us to be talking about that this evening because we've just launched our Space for Ideas competition. Uh, for those of you that don't know about it, um, we are giving away a free store in London, Paris, New York, and LA uh, to the best ideas. Um, and so if anyone wants to know more about it, there's information on the cards and speak to the appear here team in the back afterwards. We'd love to help you uh, make something happen. Very, very lucky to have an amazing panel of founders tonight. Um, I've got Trinity to, to the left of me. Trinity's the co-founder and CEO of uh, Goldie, the superfood health and beauty company. Uh, since launching about age 23, uh, Trinity has become one of the youngest uh, women to launch a line at Sephora and has been named uh, Forbes 30 Under 30 for 2020. Woo, that's right. Congratulations, that's beautiful. Uh, she lives and works from Brooklyn with her now fiance. Yes. Now fiance, yes. And co-founder, uh, Izzy, who is also here. Yes. Over there. Yeah. Andrew, next, is, is um, the founder of Knickerbocker. Andrew is actually a winner of Space for Ideas last year. He took this space and absolutely crushed it. I don't know if any of you came, but he did an amazing job. Andrew launched Knickerbocker uh, with a small batch factory in Brooklyn, and since then, the brand's evolved with the same sort of mission, um, maintaining roots in utilitarian work, and uh, yeah, American style, is that fair? That's fair. Basically, it's a cool-ass <laughs> brand, and you guys got to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Archie Hewlett, we're super lucky to have here, because Archie is, let's say, just flown in from London? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. And Archie's the founder of um, Duke and Dexter, which is the awesome shoe brand, again, based out of London. And you're now, I'm, I'm just reading here, it's sold in 120 countries worldwide. And, uh, yeah. And uh, favorite of the likes of David Beckham, Eddie Redmayne, <laughs> Snoop Dogg. Well, there you go. So, yeah, round of applause for these guys. We're super happy. Right so the goal of tonight is just to understand uh, the people who do and understand what it takes to make an idea happen, really. Um, so I wanted to start by talking about the idea and with Trinity. Because I obviously you've launched your idea 23 years old. It's pretty unbelievable. What was the the moment that you kind of said I, I could do? I can make this permanent. Like I can make this my job, my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that the benefit of launching a company that young is that you have enough foolishness that you're not really too concerned about how it's actually going to work out. Um, I think I sort of just had that that sense that I was ready to jump. Um, but ultimately, the, the idea for Gold, uh, you know, we're a wellness company, we're, we're based in Brooklyn, was to sort of take the space of wellness um, and create um, an opportunity for the average consumer to engage with it. You know, I, I felt like for myself, 
wellness was either the kind of crunchy granola stuff that I had grown up with in the Hudson Valley in upstate New York, um, or um, it was so ultra luxe and exclusive that it felt totally inaccessible to me. So I was really focused on this idea of how can I take this uh, concept of superfood health and beauty and, and make it feel a little bit more inviting. Um, and so we kind of just went for it. Uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't too much planning around how we were going to make it work. We just jumped right in. <laughs> Was there a moment when you were like, oh, oh shit, this is real. Like, I'm doing this. Uh, I mean, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, we started, when Issa and I launched the company, we still had our full-time jobs, uh, which I recommend, generally speaking. <laughs> um, so we didn't have that immediate rush on launch day, um, but I think it was within three or four months of launching that we realized that we couldn't do both. Um, and so we actually moved back upstate for a while and, and kind of hunkered down and then started to work full time on the brand and kind of stayed in that lane. Um, so I think um, for us, it, it took a little bit of time to, to fully go all in on it. Um, but yeah. Safe. Uh, and Archie, uh, you're internationally known uh, as we know now. How did it, where did it start? Um, so I had a very different start in the sense that um, I dropped out of uni and then took a job in property recruitment in London and then dropped out of that as well. Um, so it was a good start. And um, <laughs> and then moved back home. My, my parents live on a farm uh, near Reading, if anyone lives in London. Um, and really the idea initially was around um, velvet slippers, which is very weird and something we sometimes shy away from when we talk about the brand we are now. Um, but what it kind of highlights is that the initial starting point was very different to where we've ended up. And I think a lot of brands now and a lot of people you hear, you kind of get this like amazingly <clears throat> like rock solid. I'd started with this. Oh, my God. Why didn't I think of, you know, Uber? Um, <laughs> and it's like that is so obvious. And we had a very different way of starting. My kind of initial purpose was velvet slippers. I don't wear them. None of my friends wear them. Kanye West wears them. Why? Why? <laughs> where's the? What, what's going on? Um, and and so that was kind of the initial funny, but it was it was as simple and basic as that. Um, and then I didn't convince friends or myself to wear velvet slippers. So that's when we moved the brand um, to become what we're now known as, which is more of a footwear label. Um, but it's yeah, a different way of kind of starting things out. Uh, and Andrew, but for those that aren't. Can you tell us about where yeah, it started? Yeah, for sure. So Knickerbocker originally started. We, um, when we started out, we didn't have the money to do our own brand. So we basically started out, we had, there was a group of us, and we went in on a Kickstarter, and we opened up a factory. Um, there was a factory I was working with before with an old brand. And one day the owner came up. I was like 20 years old. He said, hey, you want to you wanna take it over? I was like, all right, well, I don't really know what to do with the factory. But I knew a couple people who, you know, knew more than me. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I always, I had a brand before. I knew how difficult it was to produce and make clothing. And especially here in New York, I mean, the supply chain is super limited. Um, so I wanted to be closer to the product, closer to the machines, be able to control more of that process and basically be able to make what I wanted to make. Um, so yeah, we came together, we did this Kickstarter campaign. We said, all right, we get the money, we do it. And if not, oh well. Um, 
so yeah, we got the money. And then uh, basically started from there. I mean, we started out a pretty interesting time. Um, well, yeah, it's like, start. I mean, man, honestly, it all kind of blurs. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know the official start date of the company. Um, again, because we also started with so many different ideas for what it was going to be. Um, so we started out just in manufacturing, and it was around where like Instagram was definitely kind of popping off. Um, and yeah, it was a really great opportunity because we basically just decided, hey, we can't afford to do our own brand. Why don't we manufacture for brands that we think we would align with? Um, so you kind of you know build that brand equity on somebody else's dime and align yourself with the right end customers. Um, and yeah, we basically did that for a year, and then we turned around, and you know, year year and a half later, we turned around and, and put out the Knickerbocker brand. And luckily, with you know, I think a lot of people at that time, Instagram gave you this opportunity to highlight the transparency in the business and sort of like take people behind the curtains and show them a side of the business they otherwise you know never would have seen. Um, so people are like, all right, like who are these guys in in Brooklyn Queens, you know, making ground to the brand and. Yeah, I guess the brand's been going for about four years or so now. I mean, you, you built a real cult following around it now. I mean, do you, do you think that's because people saw kind of how you got there, what it took to make it? Yeah, I mean, we were definitely like, I mean, pretty fortunate, right place, right time. Again, with, I mean, don't underplay the importance of social media. I mean, part of me really hates it, but it definitely serves its purpose um, for telling your story. And, and again, like, you know, it was this brand popping up in New York, press was talking all made in USA and everything. So there was obviously a lot we could play into and turn around, do the brand. And yeah, we had a lot of eyes on it, which was nice. Uh, and Trinity, I want to move on a little bit to kind of building the business. You, you had this idea, it's an amazing idea. Yeah. What, what was next? Like, <laughs> what, what, how did you make it happen? Um, uh, well, the process looked a little bit like this. So, um, Issei and I decided that we wanted to start something together. Um, I had a long time interest in holistic health and wellness. I was, you know, pre-med in college that I was going to be a holistic doctor and, and decided that that wasn't really my path because uh, in the medical industry, holistic wellness is not super accessible because it's not covered by insurance. Um, so I, I had that really strong interest. Um, Issei grew up in small family business. His parents have a candle company in, in upstate New York where we both are raised. Um, like literally he remembers sleeping on a futon in the factory because his parents were working late and they were still pouring candles. Um, and so he kind of had that operating background and we figured we would give this a shot. Uh, we didn't really have any resources to put into the business when we were getting started. Um, so Issei taught himself how to do product photography and design and still does all of that today, so that's why it's so pretty. Um, and I kind of just started rolling with everything else, with the, the, the sales and the marketing, and, and you know, we collaborated on trying to figure out what our formula was going to be. Our, our first SKU was a, um, still our bestseller, um, our original turmeric blend, which is a, a powder blend that's got turmeric, of course. Um, that you can add to smoothies, water, coffee. It's super anti-inflammatory and it's really yummy. Um, but yeah, we, um, we started with that product, blending it by hand, packaging it up. Um, and the first door that we got into, we focused on wholesale right from the start, which I think was 
uncommon um, at that time. Uh, but the first store that we were in was Chill House, um, which was a really great space for us in the city um, and, and got so many great eyes on the product. And then from there, within the first year, we had inbound requests coming in from Sephora, Urban Outfitters, Goop, and within so Within the first year, you had an inbound request from <laughs> yeah. Sephora. Yeah, that was, Not we were, bad. We were um, sitting on our, our couch in our like disgusting Brooklyn apartment, <laughs> literally a two person company. And we're like, these people don't fucking know. Fake <laughs> like, um, it till you make it. Yeah, exactly. But you know, we just kind of, once we saw that that demand was there, uh, we knew that we just kind of had to, to run with it and, and grow into it a little bit. Uh, and Archie, first step for you, am I right in saying that you decided to, to make shoes in Italy and then? Yeah, so we started with Italy um, just because it was the only factory really that would take us. We started in the same factory that I don't know if they still do, but they did Ralph Lauren shoes. Um, it's a big factory. Is it because they were a small batch or was it? It was It was very simply because they, we were, I was speaking to, you know, it's always a question you get asked as well, quite understandably, how do you find factories, how do you do this? Um, and I just kept contacting people, actually mainly through China, mm-hmm. uh, and then was actually being referred back because if they couldn't take us, they were willing to kind of help um, refer. And, and this factory had just taken on a new business development manager, and I think he was fairly out of work, um, and he was willing to kind of give new brands a go. Um, so we started there. The big problem we had uh, after about a year was was very much that you're part of a huge factory. And you know when you really need that 100 pairs, Ralph Lauren really need their 10,000. So um, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't work longer term if you're trying to build the brand that we are and, and that focus on kind of tailoring and bespoke and, and so on. Um, so it was after a year and a half we moved to the UK to, to make the shoes. I mean, Andrew, that's probably hit a nerve. Or the reason that you bought, in fact, got that factory was probably something like that. Yeah, a bit. I was pretty naive starting out. Um, You know, we obviously we we got into the factory. I mean, we we started out just manufacturing baseball caps. I mean, that was really it. Um, But we had the machines to do, you know, everything else. And we we definitely wanted to get into other categories. I actually shut the factory down about a year and a half ago. Um, you know, I mean, as it went, I mean, we were definitely on the manufacturing side of things. I mean, manufacturing is very, very difficult. You're definitely looking at big runs, small margins. Um, also, doing it in New York with labor and everything is is very is very intense. Um, we would have like the Department of Labor on our door all the time. Um, so, I mean, basically made, you know, the switch where said, you know, I mean, they didn't even make the switch. Originally, the plan was always manufacturing and then use it as a platform to, to launch the brand. Um, and so, you know, things weren't working out at the factory, but being in the business as long as I have, I mean, you know, I, I knew a lot of, you know, other connections, partners, mills, factories, I mean, just across the board. Um, and we just made the switch to to focus on the brand, and we said whatever factories and how we're going to set up our supply chain and everything else, we need to make sure you know it aligns with our core values, um, and it aligns with you know what we set out to do, which is you know obviously to you know produce and you know um, and try to produce in the most ethical manner possible because just the way the industry operates, it's it's very difficult to do. I mean, um, that's an interesting point. Is there any advice for, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of 
founders or, or budding founders here that are looking to start a business that's more sustainable, more transparent? Is there any advice for... for yeah, them? I think for sure it's... I mean, it starts with your supply chain. Um, it's definitely really important. I mean, looking at your, you know, your footprint. Um, you want to team up with, you know, there's countries like Italy, which are, are great for shoes. We do a lot of stuff out of Portugal now. I mean, it's really you're just trying to shrink your footprint as much as possible and still make really great, you know, products. So... Portugal for us was a great um, step and kind of a natural step because you have a lot of great cut and sew factories and you have a lot of great mills. Um, so obviously, you know, your textiles and your sewing factories and everything's, you know, it's close together. Um, you know, but then it's also just about, you gotta go there, you gotta go to the factories, you gotta meet the people, you gotta, you know, see what their, you know, value system looks like. Um, and just make sure, you know, make sure you're aligned. I mean, it's one of the first things I always do is just like, you know, how well are the employees taken care of, you know? And pretty much the first thing I always do going into a, a new factory is like, I go and I look at the bathroom, you know? And that is like one of the truest signs of how, you know, you treat your employees and respect them. Um, you know, so it's our job to tell that story. I mean, we try to do that the best we can through online and taking people into the factories and the places we work with. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess there's no, um, I, think, I think deep down, like, you know when you're operating um, within your, you know, sense of morality and everything, right? Um, obviously there's certification and all sorts of other things you can go into and a lot of that gets very political, but it's really just like that. Um, and then another one uh, for the, the, I guess, the entrepreneurs in the room uh, is, I mean, we touched on it a bit, working when you're, when you're working on another project. I mean, Archie, you, you talked about being, uh, what were you, I mean, property recruitment? Property recruiter, yeah. Real estate recruitment. Um, yes. talk, about, talk to us about the side hustle. What was it? What um, was it, it like? Again, it, the, the, the starting um, <clears throat> premise and kind of obsession with starting D&D was very different to what I now you know, I'm inspired by and and I want to do in many ways because it was really about the job um, and the fact that, as I've always said, I just couldn't believe that, you know, you had to... It, I was just... And it was a very corporate company and you had to be there at 8.30 in the morning and if you weren't, you'd be questioned. And it was a really weird concept. And so my view... Um, I was 19 at the time. My view was very much... There's only two worlds. There's either this world mm. or there's Mr. Amazing creator entrepreneur there's nothing in between which obviously now i know you know companies like appear here we, um <laughs> you know there's a great kind of like culture and atmosphere but it was very much the view that those were the two um points and and so i said about again limited funds and so on but with a real drive so everything was going into the business and the ideas um i just took an ipad into work um and i said that uh, i could type faster on an iPad so could I use an iPad which is nonsense um, but obviously with an iPad you can just put the screen down on the table so you can't see what you're doing so I use that um, so that was very much like how I started before I quit um, that's unbelievable how, how long were you <laughs> how long were you working on an iPad for uh, about three four months um, and then moved back home um, and the thing is, is that, and the benefit of moving back home was luckily you know parents didn't charge me rent so um, I had a lot of time and that's the kind of thing again like super fortunate that starting out at 19, 20 um, you know it's, it's when you start out young you obviously have very very little um, 
responsibility, uh, money, um, substitution and sacrifice. I could give so much time. Um, I wasn't interested in going out at the time. I wasn't interested in partying. So, you know, everything was just a, a, a time sacrifice. If I, you know, if a website costs 5,000, well, I'm sure I can build it. It's just going to take a while. Um, so that was really the, the big sacrifice to begin with. I mean, m money's actually a, a really important topic for founders. Uh, Trinity, am I right in saying that you guys didn't take any outside funding? Nothing yet. Nothing yet. That's <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, how, talk about that as a, as a risk. Like, how did, how did you, how, how did you decide not to take outside funding? How yeah. did you bootstrap it? Well, we bootstrapped it to begin with because we didn't really honestly know that there were other options. Mm. We just started. Um, and then, you know, when we were about a year in or so, we started to have people reach out. Um, and so I started having conversations with investors, whether it was, you know, angels or, or VCs. And um, I met a lot of really great people and I learned a ton. But I felt that, you know, being only one year into a business, I wasn't really ready to take on anyone else's expectations of ROI. It's a huge pressure. Yeah, I mean, I was still learning how to be a founder, how to be a CEO, how to grow into that role, learning who is our customer, what does she want from us, where does she want to find us. Um, it didn't feel like the right time to bring in other people who were going to put um, you know, their own demands on the business. Um, so we've built it organically over the past three years, and I try to be as honest and upfront about that process as possible because I think that it can be a bit glamorized that we didn't take investment, but it's meant a ton of sacrifice. It's meant sacrificing growth, um, you know, sacrificing salaries, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been worth it in the end for us. We've been doubling year over year now, uh, which is, which is great. Um, but we are starting to take those conversations now that I feel like we're in a place where we really understand where we would put those resources. I mean, I would say you probably think the risk paid off then. I mean, yeah. you, you, <laughs> doubling year on year is probably a, a good place to start looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Scaling is actually the next thing I want to talk about because uh, up here we often help brands at a certain stage. You know, they're, they're ready to go into physical space and, and test new markets and go to new countries. And uh, Archie, I want to talk about a little bit about you. You started as an online business. Uh, then you launched, you now you have two stores in London, is that right? Three stores in Three London. Three stores in London, yeah. sorry. Three stores in London and looking in New York, can I say that? Looking in New York, yeah. I yep, just said it. It's okay. <laughs> um, how did Please you, come. yeah, <laughs> why did you make the move? What, what happened? Um, I think we've always had like an international business. Um, and what I mean by that, and I say this and I always make it sound very stupid, I don't mean to, but um, when, when, I, when we launched the website, um, the second sale after my dad was uh, to the United States of Um And I had, you know, everything about going back to the Velvet Slipper, everything was about the UK. It was me, it was my friends, it was thinking what we wear and what we don't wear. So this initial sale to the UAE was just completely confusing and... and Unsolicited. Yeah, just like, I hadn't even thought about, and this is where I sound stupid, I hadn't even thought about the fact that the website was completely international. Obviously, there were people from other countries looking. Um, 
And so that was a huge insight to us into what we then needed to build and think about and so on. And I think a lot of businesses um, do. You know, there are businesses that uh, we relate to in the UK that are like very, very London focused and they have a huge um, customer base in London um, and a huge um, footprint. And then there are businesses a bit like ours, which actually New York's bigger than, than London for us in terms of online sales. Um, and again, it's just the way in which we've built the brand. We've, we've made London our home, but we haven't done all of our marketing ploy and tactics through London. We've tried to kind of give this, this global image because we recognized early that um, the design and the styles um, were, were quite universal in that sense. Um, yeah. And how important is the, the physical space for you? Like, do, like... Oh, I can talk about it for ages. Uh, <laughs> it, it, massively important. We launched a store very early on. So we launched in 2015. We launched a store in 2016. Um, and again, you know, very limited understanding. I had a really, really limited way of running finances, which was super security driven. So I remember um, opening a store with the thought process that I've, banked enough cash to pay the rent for this store for the year that if it goes bust, wow. which is very stupid, awesome. if it goes bust, it, you know, I'll not go bust. Um, so it was, it was a real like driver for us to open a store. And I think that was purely a credibility play. You know, we launched, we launched with a real aim to be something and be, you know, super passionate about what we were doing, the product we were bringing to market. And the store was just a very obvious step to say, we're here, like we, we have a, a storefront, we have a five sense experience you can come into. Um, so it's been massively important. And it's the same thing with New York. You know, we, I go in and while I'm here, I'm meeting some of our biggest customers. Um, and it, rightly or wrongly, they, the way they talk about the brand is so different. You know, I've met four of our biggest customers, all of which have spent over 10,000 pounds with us. So a huge amount of money on one very small shoe brand. Um, but they, they talk so differently about the brand. And I'm kind of thinking, we're doing something, our marketing team must be doing something wrong because <laughs> you're saying you love the shoes for a very different reason to what we kind of want you to in some ways. Yeah. And again, that is because we're an, you know, we're an online brand and these customers have seen it in a different way because you just can't give the same experience as an immersive in-store um, experience. So you want to be able to control the message? Definitely. I just think you can, you can say more about the brand um, and it doesn't have to be a, you know, God, this is selling up here. It doesn't have to be like a five-year contract. It just has to be like an event. Oh, a pop-up. Um, like, yeah, a pop-up. Yeah. yeah, here's my business. Wow. <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> um, Andrew, you lost, launched your first, was it first store? It was, right? Your yeah, first store with a PF, actually. Space for Ideas. Yeah, How, what mean, did that do to the business? What was it? I always, um, I've always been a skeptic of retail. I think a lot of people in fashion have, you know, shared that sentiment, especially over the past few years and obviously with the online booming and, you know, um, but yeah, to be, you know, just to be able to, especially for us, I mean, with our product range, it was really one of the most fascinating things taking the, the, you know, the range in store, um, was just, we're not a brand that does anything that's like incredibly outlandish. We take a lot of pride and like focus on materials and cuts, um, construction, things like that. So when we do our online business, a lot of what people gravitate to and what the average order value is, is usually around $100. We're selling a lot of tees and sweatshirts and lower price point items. Um, as you know, I mean, we were in here, our pop-up was here. Um, and it was just interesting to see kind of how, I mean, and, and Wade actually worked it. So he would, he'd probably be even better at speaking to this. Um, 
but it was interesting to see you know how how people just looked at the brand a bit different and also i mean they just we give them the opportunity to you know check out some more of the expensive items and you know kind of what's behind the cloth and to be able to be there and provide a sense of customer service that quite honestly no no matter how many chats or whatever you set up on your online store you're just never going to be able to replicate that online um and you also get the opportunity to tell i mean way more about the brand um so yeah, I mean, for us, just to, to get into the tangible was really important. Um, and, you know, also, I mean, we're a New York brand, so most of our customer base is in New York. I think a lot of people were definitely looking forward to the opportunity to, you know, come in and, and sort of see what's up. And, you know, we got a, I mean, it was, as you know, it was a super quick turnaround. So, I mean, we had about 24, 48 hours to set up. But within that time, I think we did a pretty good job setting up, you know, our little Knickerbocker world. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's literally what I was going to say. The, when they did the launch party here for the first night, it was, it was literally like a Knickerbocker world. I don't know if, how many of those people you knew, how many of the people were fans of, of the brand, but like you, you, it really felt like... Right. That's really good. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and Trinity, I'm not, I know you haven't launched a store of physical space, but you, you have a, a, a lot of physical presence. I mean, you guys yeah. are in, in a lot of wholesalers, Sephora yeah. obviously being one of them. Yeah. Um, two things I wanted to ask. One was... One was yeah, is it, I mean, how important is it to your physical space? The, the other thing we were talking about scaling is like the speed in which you've scaled uh -huh. is, is pretty unbelievable. How, how, do you, <laughs> how do you manage that? How do you enjoy it? Yeah, I like that question, how do you enjoy it? But um, I think it's very different from, you know, what you guys have been talking about of, you know, having a space that feels wholly your own where you can kind of bring someone into the world of your brand. Um, you know, when you're on the shelf at, you know, Urban Outfitters or whatever retailer, there's a lot of pressure on the product itself to deliver that experience, um, which is an interesting challenge that we've worked through over the past three years of how do we keep the product interesting and keep the branding really exciting and different, but make sure that someone can walk by this, look at it for, I mean, what is it, like a, a millisecond or something that they, they give their attention to it and understand what it is, pick it up, and know what to do with it and, and want to try it. Um, so that's an interesting challenge to work through when you have those um, wholesale relationships with third-party retailers. Um, but it's also just incredible because their scale is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, these are, are retailers with a, a thousand or more doors nationally. So if, if you can if you can build that partnership with them and, and drive that awareness, it, it's, it's incredibly valuable. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the pace faster than you could have imagined and in other ways it feels like it's like trickling by. <laughs> um, so I think it's kind of like feeling out that balance in, in general, because I think you're always feeling one or the other in, in any given moment. Is, it, is there a way to I mean, I guess this is a question for all of you guys, but is there a way to enjoy it? Is there a way to not make sure you don't get burnt out? I mean, you're, you're, I'm asking you specifically because yeah. this, is, this is definitely wellness. the wellness space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, I get asked a lot about my wellness tips, and my wellness tips are not, like, it's not taking baths. Um, but I really, I like to go for walks. Um, I find that that's really helpful. I, like, Issa and I will go for, like, 10 mile days if we can get a day off and like we'll also be talking business the whole time and like you can work through so much and it's been scientifically proven actually that your brain like you can make decisions better when you're when you're moving so I find that's really helpful if I feel a little bit uh, stifled 
Um, I call my mom, you know? Like, I mean, it's really, it's, 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 I, I pull myself out of that world for a moment um, and, and go meet up with a friend who doesn't know what the fuck I do and like doesn't wanna even talk about it and we can just talk about everything else. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I, think, um, I think it's really just figuring out what is gonna make you feel good at the end of the day. Cause I think there's a lot of uh, hype around all these like self-care activities that to me seem incredibly stressful to bring into my yeah. daily life. Um, so I think it's, it's just kind of a personal choice. I'd love to know, kind of on that topic, I hope you don't mind me asking, because these, these other guys can't answer this, but what's it like working with a, with, with, with a partner, like you say? I mean, what are the, what are, there must be so much, well, positives about it, and, yeah, and also challenges, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it's pretty good. I mean, I think, I get that question all the time of like, how do you do that? And I think whenever I imagine like finding a co-founder and, and just, starting something up with them and, and not having known them that well, that seems really terrifying. Um, so to us, it, we didn't really have that conversation of like, are we gonna do this together or not? It was, it, that's what it was gonna be from the beginning, we didn't even question it. Um, so when people ask me, hey, you know, I'm thinking about maybe bringing my significant other into my business, what do you think? If you're questioning it, then it's probably not a good move, and that has no reflection on your relationship. You guys just might not be the ideal, you know, working partners. Um, but honestly, I, I think in some ways it's been good for our relationship because, I mean, you know, those like little fights that you get into, you know, every so often you don't talk to the person for an hour. You can't do that when you have a, a business together. <laughs> um, so I, I think it kind of forces um, a certain level of, of maturity across the board, which is is helpful. Sounds like a surefire way to fix a relationship. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 totally. That's yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I wanted to move on to some general advice. Again, I think a lot of kind of early stage founders in the room. Um, and I mean, this is one, the same one for all of you, but I'll, I'll start with Archie at the end. It is one piece of advice you could give to, to founders starting out? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't need to be just one, but. Uh, it, it, it's, it's overused, but there are so many ways you can kind of phrase it, and I'll try and phrase it in my way, which is like, it is the drive for it. Um, it's the relentless energy for it. And it doesn't always come, going back to my idea, like I didn't set out with the same aim as I have now. I didn't even have the same feelings of what I do now about the brand and what I like about it is very different now. You know, I liked it because I started it and I didn't have to wake up at 8.30 and worry about getting fired. Um, now, you know, I, I, I don't worry about that, but I worry about other things and I'm inspired by other things. But I think it's just, it is that relentless energy and it is overused and it's said a million times, but there's so many crap days. There's so many days when like, you just want to get out and you just you you just want it you want it you're in New York and you don't come here very often and actually it would just be great to walk around and you're just stuck and every email's coming in and you've got to wake up and there's nothing you can do really. You can neglect it but no one else is looking after it for you. So I think that is the the, the driver and it doesn't have to be, as I say, coming back to the start. It doesn't have to be like I'm so inspired to do this and therefore nothing's gonna wave me from it. You just have to have that kind of like self-obsessment with what you're doing and the passion for it because there is so many rubbish days. And the number of my friends, you know, particularly when I started out, um, 
probably even more so now actually like you know they love talking about ideas um and and they love like saying they're going to do this and do that but they never get around to doing it and if i was being honest with them which i'm probably not i would probably just say just you know it's just not going to work because you just don't you know you just want to talk about it um so it is that just like relentless energy for something that you know you, you're just going to work so hard on do you have a Do you have a way to to deal with the bad days? You take a bath, um, boy, mom. Yeah, I. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't take a bath that often actually. I I I think that like the, the that self doubt thing is always the entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think the self doubt drive is there because obviously that's what's making you think about being better and improving every day. Um, I think the one big difference between that and what people get very wrong, and I've been the worst that is just thinking that you've got to throw every hour of every day into it um because there are so many things new york when i come here is an amazing example um la is similar like the time zone highlights that i can get all my work done by lunchtime every single time there's not a single day where i'm working till five here i can get my work done um and so it just highlights like there are ways in which you can work and get out and be as you say, you know, on the move, um, uh, you know, walks like Trinity does. Like you can get out and, and do more um, to get away from the stress. I just think people think that it's combined with every hour of every day. Yeah. Which of course, when you start, there's more of that because naturally you're doing more. Um, you have to kind of be there 24/7. But there's still ways of taking breaks and not just becoming thinking that if you spend every hour, it's going to work because you're just spending so much time on it. Um, that's like the big change, yeah. Um, Andrew, what about you? Any, any tips? Yeah, I mean, to, you know, echo a bit of what Archie said, I think, you know, for, uh, I mean, for all of us here, it sounds like we all started out pretty young. Um, I think one of the beautiful things about being young is you kind of have this feeling of um, invincibility or just the idea is like you'll figure it out because you have to. And I think that's that grit and drive and passion for whatever idea it is you're trying to pursue. Um, you know, that being said, hindsight is twenty twenty, um, And I definitely think you need to maintain that as you go along. Um, but if I could give myself one piece of advice would just be, you know, making sure looking, I think you look at fashion, you think a lot more like the glitz and the glam and, you know, you go into the, the clothing and the, the styling and your mood boards and the Instagrams and whatever else. But I mean, for me, in person, what I've learned is, is like the, the business is really one on the back end and making sure you're operationally sound. Um, I never had a mentor, so anybody here looking to start something, <laughs> I would highly recommend that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's just carrying that mentality of, you know, figure it out because I have to. Um, it's just as you go along and the bigger you get, obviously, is sometimes that doesn't work. Um, you need to make sure you're, you're set up to succeed. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's good advice. Trinity, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's only been a, a couple of years, unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think my biggest piece of advice is to know your numbers. Um, I'm not naturally a numbers person, but, um, you know, you really, if you don't have a, a business yet or if your business is still quite small and you're not spending a lot of money yet, it's hard to fathom how easily money flows out the window. Here, whatever, but like, you don't see how quickly it's moving out. And you have to be on top of that. And I, I think so many founders are creative types. 
So they say, oh, that's not, I don't really, that stresses me out, I don't like to think about it. And I'm the same way. I have so many founder friends who say, oh yeah, I, I haven't looked at my books in, in, in weeks or months. I can't, like, it, I, I don't even want to know. Um, and you just, you don't want to get there. Yeah. Uh, because no matter how wonderful of a brand you have and a product, if you're losing money every month and you're not figuring out how to bring it back in, you're not going to have a, a company for much longer. Wow, that was a really negative note to leave this <laughs> on. No, no, but no, no, no. just, <laughs> sorry. No, we're not going to leave it. Numbers. Don't worry. We've, we've still got a couple more questions. But Positivity. That, that's probably all positive. Well, you can tell us this. What was one thing you wish you knew before you started? How about that? Um, Someone told you a piece of advice. Maybe you got it, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, it's honestly, it's hard to pick. One one thing that I, I wish I knew, um, but I I think that a, a big piece of it is ultimately like that understanding that I think sorry, but to echo what Archie was saying, like this this piece of you know you're gonna have these moments of intense uh, you know work where you know it's from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep and you don't even sleep for that long but that's not sustainable and it's actually just inefficient. Um, so like really making sure that you're not feeling that, that guilt um, around needing to be on all the time and, and allowing yourself um, you know, the, the, the right um, and, and, and almost like the duty to, to take a break so that you can be like your best self for your business. Sure. Do you guys have anything to add to that? Any, any advice you wish you got? Um, I'm going to get to add advice, but go back to the point you asked before as well and yeah. add to my answer, which is, is, is product as well. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, like it is that understanding of the product side of things, which I didn't have at the start, but I was obsessed with. Um, so really basic, obvious stuff that I still do. I was in Nemo Marcus earlier. Um, just looking at like competitive products, looking at other brands and getting a shape of feel because there are so many brands that are brilliant at um, or have been in the past brilliant at developing amazing stories and building out great content and developing a product. Um, and the footwear is a very good example of this. And actually then you feel and see the product and it's just not quite there. Um, it just doesn't feel right. And then the flip side of that is there's product um, I mean, uh, we know they're going to have that much marketing when they started. They didn't have huge budgets. They just had this amazing product that so many people talked about. And it was just next, you know, I bought them, and bought them, Trinity bought them, you know, just on and on. It's like a constant um, shift. And I think it is, and I know, again, it's a, a like overused answer, but it is so essential to, to, to be obsessed with the product. Yeah. And I've had it at times, we did it with slides, um, which I'll confess to, where we got our, we had our slides made in England. We, none of us, uh, it was like February, so none of us were going away. So we didn't really, we walked around the office in them. We thought they were okay. I had a couple of doubts because we hadn't made slides before. As I say, we used our factory, um, which is in the UK. No one makes slides in the UK. <laughs> they didn't know what they were doing. Um, and this isn't recorded, is it? No. And uh, and, and it was um, it was a it was a real disaster. Like the the, the slides basically cut your feet on the on the upper um, because they weren't flexible, they weren't bendy, and so on. And that was I knew if in 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 the process of doing that, I knew that it wasn't a product we were 100% certain on. You know, we wanted it because it was part of the snoop. 
package and the collab with him and we just wanted to add it because it was a small piece on the side and actually didn't matter but it, it was such a big then issue in terms of like you know there were new customers coming into the brand who love slides don't wear Chelsea boots and we could have then brought them into the wider brand but the product just wasn't there um, and I think it is yeah without doubt numbers then product is that, is that working with someone who knows what they're doing or just really learning? I think, it, I, I don't think you need to, uh, you know, again, I'm only speaking from what I know, but I don't think you need to necessarily, if you're, you know, if you're selling shoes, you can go and see shoes and learn about shoes and you can put a shoe on and know if it's comfortable or well-made and so on. Um, I, I think it's just that of like obsession with it to just feel like, I've done it now and, you know, with, with other shoe brands as well, but uh, you just pick product up sometimes and you're like, this is just awesome. Like this just is so good um, and it's that stage you want to get to which I don't think needs technicality again speaking from experience you know in the in the, the, the fields that I you know I'm in it doesn't need the technicality it just needs like obsession with what is good quality also big shout out to the Snoop collaboration that's Thank, thanks that's pretty a good. plug <laughs> Andrew any, any advice you wish you got um I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess, really, I mean, just to, again, say, I mean, where I left off, you know, I, um, I, I wish, you know, starting out, I mean, I definitely would advise, like, again, finding a mentor, someone who's been through it, um, you know, and to go into the numbers thing, again, I think for all the creative people out there, I was definitely on that tip where I just, I did not want to know at all. Um, but embrace it because it's actually, I found that I, I actually, I, with the numbers, it's kind of turned into this other creative outlet for me. And it's another problem solving thing that, you know, I really, uh, actually, I enjoy it, you know, and you want to see, nurture your baby and see it grow and take care of it. And, you know, I mean, that's all, that's one of the biggest parts of it. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, we're going to do two more quick fire questions and then we'll open it up to, to, I feel like I've been had my back to you guys from this side. Um, one question I, I always ask, I feel like people get a lot out of it. Is there anything that's inspiring you at the moment, like a podcast or a book or a human being? I, I don't know, but someone that you can share with these guys. Trinity, why don't you? Oh, okay, specifically. <laughs> um, something that's inspiring me right now. I mean, the biggest thing that's been inspiring me lately, which was not something that I expected when I first started this company was, uh, it's been our community. Uh, so we've, we've built out this great little, like hyper engaged audience, you know, mostly on Instagram, of, of course, that's, that's where everyone is right now. Um, and we talk to them about what products they want to see next and, you know, what we've got in the works and, uh, you know, what it's been like to build the business over the past three years. And now every product that we have lined up for, 2020 through 2021 came directly from their feedback. Wow. And that's so cool. It's, it's so neat to see the business grow outside of yourself. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like oftentimes in the beginning, I had a lot of self-doubt around whether I was pushing the brand um, in the right direction and what our positioning would be. But now that we have this core audience, we can really just tap into her. Um, lead a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off of us, and and it's like so incredibly rewarding to see that direct feedback from them. Andrew, anything for me? Um, I mean, in terms of people, for sure, I would say if anybody, I mean, if you haven't read the book, "Let My People Go Surfing" um, by Yvonne Chouinard. 
Um, I read that book probably every year just to stay like aligned. Quick. His whole value system and how he went about you know setting up his business and taking care of his partners and factories and employees and just all the values I mean he instilled across the whole business. Um, but the main thing, I think, I mean, especially a lot of people, I imagine most people here live in New York. Um, it's just finding that stillness, peace of mind. Um, you know, it's important to be, you know, creatively fed. I think you need to give yourself that opportunity. I try and, you know, luckily we can still surf in New York. So that's <laughs> when I can go and the waves are good. I mean, that's, I mean, my uh, little recharge button. Um, but really just anything I can do to sort of find that like peace of mind. I mean, that's how I, I keep going. I mean, like you, we, we try and tap into our, you know, our customers and do surveys and things like that. Um, just hearing people talk about your brand is obviously not like, I don't mean to say this in like an egotistical way, but it's, you know, if you're putting out something, you know, good or, or people are engaging and it obviously, yeah, it's inspiring you and it pushes you to keep going. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Archie? Um, <clears throat> there isn't, I wouldn't say there's one specific person. I think um, I'm a big po podcast listener. Yeah. Um, What's the one? There are lots. Uh, I like how I built this, which yeah. is probably, I think it's American, isn't it? Um, uh, which is good. And again, it's like, you know, it isn't always directly relevant, nor is it always directly that that um interesting but it is there are always elements of different businesses that you always just think and and um and learn from and aspire to be like and that's always those kind of snippets i get from from the podcast you know you hear about either someone's start and how they almost went bust and like okay good we're not the only one um or you or you hear about the team and you know the way in which they built their team and their cleaners now they're you know operations manager or whatever it is um you know there, there's just so many different elements you can take and i think that is you know there's, there's never one brand otherwise you end up um you know just replicating but there are people um that you can become so inspired by yeah. and it's for me it's not just like any one person as i say it's like elements of different businesses um and different backstories that you just hear about someone's relentless as i say relentless drive their team their their, their brand mistake that then led to a um, thing. And everything just, again, it's like, it's just another bullet that you realize you can get through and a hurdle that you can um, get past. So that's, yeah, the way I would Amazing. go about it. All right, last question, and I'm going to open up to the floor. Obviously, we care about space up here, so I want to know if you, <laughs> quick answer, if you had a, one place to open a store, where would it be and, and what would you do? What would it look like? Trinity, this, is, this could be... We can make this. And that's where our, our community is strongest right now. And, uh, you know, since we have a mix of in ingestible products and skincare, I've always envisioned this space of, you know, having like a, a superfood smoothie bar and, and like a little place to put on face masks. And then, of course, the products, you know, all, all lovely and, you know, space for like fun activations. Uh, but yeah. Amazing. We'll, we'll talk offline. That's okay. Andrew? <laughs> Yeah, I think you know the answer to this question. Um, would be in the city. You're potentially, hopefully, sitting in it. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, right here. I mean, Good. what better place to be? You know, New York's our. It's definitely it's our it's our backyard. But uh, obviously, I mean, there's a lot of you know international coming through. So for sure. Yeah. Actually, don't give me New York as well. I'm not going to give you New York. Um, we like as a brand, we always we like to try and go against the grain. It's how we started. It's what 
we try and inspire our customers to do beyond obviously buying shoes you know we want to give them um and tell stories and inspire them to do things differently so i think we would have to align with that and do a store somewhere in like the sahara desert or something um and just make it really adventurous because that's what our customers engage with um and then I think if you if you if you make it to the store, you can just have a pair of shoes. That, that's the answer I was looking for, guys. Give it up for the the people. Who do.